Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Here's episode two of our very special two-parter, Loose Units, Mum's the Word. Now, last week, my ex-cop mum, Christine, opened the book on what it was like being a cop in the 80s, a woman cop, and a pioneering one at that in New South Wales. Now, this week, we go even further into her stories. This one is a real doozy, folks. Also, before I let you enjoy the episode, there's a couple of tickets left for this Saturday, November the 30th, at the Rhino Room in Adelaide. So do not miss out on Loose Units Live in Adelaide. This is going to be an absolute cracker of a show. Dad and I will be telling some fantastic eye-opening stories for you. And guess what? Our February Brisbane show is selling out faster than any show we've thrown so far. We love you, Brisbane. Seriously, though, they're going to go out within the next couple of weeks, I reckon, these tickets. They're going to sell out very fast. So to see us on Saturday, the 30th of November in Adelaide or next February in Brisbane, get along to facebook.com forward slash loose units and book right now. Enjoy part two of Loose Units, Mum's the Word. When I was a kid, my mum was a cop. You see, my mum was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. So, can you imagine how hard it was to be one of the pioneering women of the New South Wales Police Force? Well, you don't have to imagine. Because after a book and two seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, my ex-cop mum is finally laying all her cards on the table and revealing exactly what she lived through. So sit back and enjoy Loose Units, Mum's the Word. Oh, I'm just trying to think of some of the bizarre on macabre. <laughs> I think your I think your father's got the um got the the uh you know the weird his, stuff unlocked. Yeah, yeah. definitely, mm. definitely. Well, you actually one thing that you had um which dad didn't have. Well, you had many things obviously, but um there was a photo that you showed me. And it's of you in a police locker room with about 10 other women laughing, facing the camera. That's the academy. That's the academy. Mm. So did you find, what was it like working with other female officers? Did they all band together? Was there a sense of kind of, um, you know, like a loyalty amongst well, you? Or? I didn't work. I only worked with myself and the one other female officer. Mm. It wasn't till the second year mm. that I was at the police station that the next class came through and they put more female officers there. So I had a whole 12 months of my probation. Mm. And then at the end of the twelve months, you go back for your secondary training for three months. Mm. Then you then you've you're no longer a probationary constable. You're a constable. So, sure. um, 
And for the first 12 months, just myself and the other female, my colleague, mm. just the two of us were the only females. So we didn't have anybody else there. But then after that, the next, then in every single class there were females, but then they'd be sent to stations all over New South Wales. Right, because you've got to have the token women in the different stations. Did you find um, being a cop in a skirt difficult? Because right now women are wearing trousers. Like, how did that, how did that change happen? Um, well, we started a... Um, a, an actual petition, <laughs> um, and we demanded that we could have collots. Now, what are they? Collots are like a skirt, but it looks like a skirt mm. when you're standing there, but mm. it's actually like loose, wide leg pants. So oh, okay. it forms the shape of a skirt, but they're actually pants. So that just means that if you need to climb up, you know, a gutter or get in a window or over a fence or chase after somebody, you know, to catch them, that basically. Um, you can do it. Better movement. And also, whenever you were stepping up into the big truck, the police truck... Oh, yeah, of course. It was a high step up, and you couldn't even get up there with your skirt. I couldn't even step up into the truck with the skirt. It was so straight and so ridiculous. So you got this petition going. Presumably, did it work? Um, Well, by the time it actually worked, I'd left. But apparently, yes, <laughs> it actually did work. And eventually, I don't know how many years later, they said, look... Mm, we'll let women wear trousers, goodness me, yes, we'll let them wear trousers. What a generous thing to do. Oh, unbelievable. What other impacts do you think you had on, you know, uh, policing in New South Wales for women? Because obviously, you, I mean, I don't want to use the word trailblazer, but I'm going to. Um, what other things did you push for that got, um, you know, uh, worked in later? I think just a general acceptance that women could do the job exactly the same as the men. Mm. Um, because that took many, many years for them to... There were actual certain police at the station that just flatly refused to work with me, mm. just said, I'm not working with a woman. Or they'd check your firearm and say, show me that you've got bullets in your gun. Oh, if, just really ridiculous stuff like that. And I'd be going, no, no, I'm not doing that. And it was unbelievable. And they would always kind of pigeonhole you and say, oh, look, we've got to go and do this job today and there's there's a woman involved, so just bring the woman along. Like, you know. Yeah. Or in the beginning when I was there, especially on night afternoon shift, which is more stuff happened, I suppose, mm. um, and never on day shift but afternoon or evening shift, in the very beginning times it, when I was out of my three-month probation so I didn't have my buddy anymore. Right. Because when I was with my buddy, he looked after me and said, right, all equal here. Yep. No no nonsense. This is how it is. And it was great. But once he wasn't by my side anymore, often I'd be at the station. We'd go back for a cup of tea or dinner or something, and then a job would come over, and I'd and they'd all take off and leave me. And they didn't take me. They'd just leave me. Oh, no, no, we just didn't think it was so safe. We just... You know, we just thought better if you stayed in the station. I'm thinking, I'm doing the same job. I'm equal to you, but it took it took a long time. Yeah, it took a very long time. Because you ended up working with Dad. I mean, he wasn't Dad at that point. He was John Verhoeven, a skinny young kid, and you're a year older than Dad. And you were at the you were at the um you were stationed as a cop before he was um, a year, one year before, and mm. I went back to the academy for secondary training. Yeah. At the end of the first year, and that's when Dad's. That's when John started at the academy. Mm. When I was doing my secondary, he was doing his initial training. What was your first impression of him? Well, I didn't really notice him at the academy <laughs> at all. <laughs> my, 
Tegan doesn't remember me either. I don't. I didn't remember him. Well, I, I had no reason to take any notice of the initial trainees. Right. Like, yeah. Because I was in the secondary class, so it was, you know, I'd already been at the station for a year, or close to a year. Mm. So they were just starting, but he apparently saw me, and I don't know whether you touched on that story about. The photograph. We and, did. Yeah. Okay. But how did that come to happen? Well, because, uh, I mean, for listeners, Dad joined the force because uh, he saw Mum in a recruitment ad and was like, she's gorgeous, I'm joining up. Um, but how did you get roped into doing a recruitment ad? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So before I left the police force, I decided I needed the I – firstly, I left North Sydney. I thought I need – um, I left the police station because I thought I need to do something different, and some jobs came up in police internal affairs. Oh yeah, yeah. and which is kind of weird saying that because it was pretty ineffective in the late seventies and eighties because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of investigating going on. There's just a lot of cover-ups going on, so right, with police right. corruption. Okay. So the thing was that I went there just for a couple of months. I was going to stay longer, but I got a little bit disheartened because. I thought, it's really weird working here because I keep getting told about these investigations and getting information, but nothing ever seems to be, nothing ever seems to, the only ones that ever get followed up is if it's something to do with someone saying, well, the police turned up and didn't give him a parking ticket or, you know, maybe they maybe they got paid off not to give him a ticket or just ridiculous small stuff. Right. There was no serious cases and I said, I used to say, there must be something I can actually start to help invest, be part of an investigation. Oh, no, it'll be okay. Like, it was a token woman, definitely. They just got me in there. But they didn't want me to be any part of all the stuff that was going on, I'm sure, all the cover-ups and all the scenarios of police. Obviously, there were always police getting reported by the public Mm. for either inaction or action that they'd taken that wasn't appropriate. Yeah. Like when the young guy got jumped on by my partner and the mother complained that we were too heavy handed. So that, that that type of thing ended up in internal affairs, okay? Sure. Um and I actually actually had to go before I worked there and talk to internal affairs about what happened on that day. Right. So you'd already been in the building. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um but then I remember on the weekends the Highway Patrol back then had these high powered motor cars that were brand new and needed running in before they went to the Hire Patrol. Yeah. So some of these cars ended up, I don't can't remember, quite remember how, and then one weekend they said, look, we need someone to take the car home and run it in for the weekend. So I drove this ridiculously high-powered car home. Like, like a pursuit vehicle. Like I remember driving it and hardly even touching the – I didn't even have my foot on the accelerator and I couldn't – had to keep slowing it down. It was. <laughs> I got home and your father's going – Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> so, so he he was the one that ran it in, really. Right. Um, that was interesting. I don't quite remember how that all fitted together, but anyway. No, no, because he told a story a few episodes back, which people will remember, in which he was driving you up the coast. You were asleep in the car, and he wasn't paying attention, and he uh, drifted off. And he heard this honking, and suddenly the car was surrounded by an entire bikey gang driving like around the car like That fish. was our car. That, that was our personal car. Oh, that wasn't the pursuit vehicle. No, that was a personal car. Interesting. Yeah. You know what's funny is I, re- I reckon if you, if you and I sat down with the Loose Units book, there's so many stories in there which I've relayed to you, and you're like, no, no, that's not exactly how it happened. Actually, it happened <laughs> this way. So, uh, <laughs> I anyway, yeah. I don't want to spoil any of 
your father's stories. I don't want to blow him out of no, the no, water here. Please do. You are here to poke <laughs> holes. <laughs> so anyway, I spent a little bit of time there. Mm. Um, and then after that, I was disillusioned and thought this is boring and I don't kind of understand all this, all these jobs are coming in, but nothing's actually going out. Like right. what's happening with them? Like, in other words, they're just getting all put in a drawer somewhere and not investigated or mm. it was a serious matter and they, they'd work it out. They'd quieten people down. They'd pay them off, whatever they, I don't know what they did, but anyway. Mm. Um, so most of the corruption stuff, most of the allegations of corruption or bad behaviour of police was, was not investigated or was done in such a way that I never got to find out about it. So, okay. Okay. Um, And then I ended up working in police recruitment, which takes me to the whole PR yeah. ads in the paper, mm. join the police force. And when I worked in police recruitment, screening people to join the police force, um, PR was upstairs. And they came down and said to my boss, we need a couple of people to be in the next round of advertising for the we're, we're new recruitment drive happening here. And you work in, you, you're you the recruitment team. So me and the other police officer, oh, I think there were probably two or three different guys that mm-hmm. I did the ads with, mm. we were asked to be in the ads. So that's how the ad happened. Because I saw you also in the paper um you were leaning over a table and holding a whole bunch of what looked like stolen jewellery. Oh, okay. There was a big arrest in North Sydney and basically it was a cat burglar mm. and they'd arrested this person. I can't remember the details of the case, but there was so much stolen stuff in this car. Mm. Um, and it was a promo for the police force. It was just to say, look at all the great work we're doing and okay. look at all this stolen gear we've found that the owners can have back, you know, and mm. we're doing such a wonderful job and all these arrests we're making. But was, that was true, but then underneath the surface of all of that was all the other stuff stuff going on, yeah, mm. yeah, or not going on. Would you have um, – a listener asked out a couple of episodes ago, uh, would he still – like, what do you consider going back into the force? Now, I could ask you that question, but what I think I should ask is, is it fair to say that the the culture towards women in the police force is part of what drove you away from the police force? Um, definitely, because when I finally left the police force years later, yeah. I was pregnant with you. Mm. And I went to my station sergeant. I stayed until I was about seven months or almost eight months, and I was working in the rostering or whatever. I was obviously not working out on the street. But mm. um, I said, look, oh, I don't know whether I should take maternity leave for three months fully paid or whether I should just resign. I just don't know what to do. And he said, well, I'd probably encourage the, the latter because if you come back after having this child, don't expect any special treatment don't expect us to make any allowances. If you want to be in this job and earn the same money, you're going to do the same shift work and everything else the same as the guys, no special treatment. So then I thought, gosh, I was quite conflicted and annoyed and I thought, gosh, maybe I should take maternity leave and come back and just to annoy this <laughs> particular person. Yeah. And then I thought, no, because it's a big thing and with both of us in the police force, the mum and the dad, mm. like the high risk of ending up with one or no parents was more 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 often the case back then. Mm. 
Um, not that there was more risk taking, but oh, policing's changed. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, back then you you attended all matter of things. It wouldn't matter what it was. It was. You know everything on the spectrum, like a community outreach kind of thing. You were, you know, like a just wandering around helping people and solving no, problems. No, no, you'd have to get called to a job, but you know, you, you were looking. If you're driving around on patrol, mm. if you saw anything suspicious, you'd investigate. So you were kind of looking for work. You were looking for the signs of something that wasn't quite right. Um, you were responding to people calling into the police station saying someone's trying to break into my house or. Someone has broken into my house, mm. um, and if or I've been assaulted or whatever's happened, um, and then you'd go and you'd go to the call and you'd investigate. But and then if it was more complex um, and it was more appropriate to hand it on to one of the detectives or one of the actual specialist squads, yeah, um, that's what would happen. Okay, but you'd try and keep it in house and do it follow through with the investigation yourself if you could, mm. as far as you could. Mm. Um, but, you know, if it was stolen property, like people said someone's broken in and stolen, you know, $20,000 worth of jewellery, that would be something that you'd definitely have to hand on to the d- detectives. Did you ever um, consider, because Dad would tell stories where him and, you know, his part, his buddy would basically just go, let's just try and ride this one out ourselves. Did you ever... Did you ever kind of push the boundaries a little bit and try and, you know, show more initiative than you were allowed to? Um, probably not as much. I often work with um, a partner where they might have. Right. And I'd be along for the ride. And you went along for that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Of course, of course. Mm. Um, because it's always good to show initiative and um, not that it ever got you very far in those days <laughs> because you had to pass certain initiation tests to be allowed into certain parts of the police force, which basically the main test was to test that you wouldn't dob in your colleague for doing the wrong thing. Right. That you would go along with the game. Mm. You'd be part of the pro- part of the uh, corruption, so to speak. So as long as you passed that test and they knew you could keep your mouth shut and not say anything about what you saw or heard, mm. you'd get in. And they'd trick you. They'd try and trip you up and put you in a situation where you'd open your mouth or you'd say something or report something, which was just a setup to to see whether you were able to play along and cover up for your crooked colleague, you know. Mm. Um, but I was just very straight, honest, hardworking and quite naive in many ways, weirdly, where I just I took people on face value and I trusted until I was proven, until, it was, until I realised that, I shouldn't have. <laughs> and it was very misogynistic in that I remember one night at the police station I was I'd come in to do some paperwork or something and I was standing at the counter typing on the typewriter, mm. manual typewriter, mm. a report. Someone had come in to report report something had been stolen or something had happened. And um so then you'd put the three pages of whatever the I can't remember the number of the form, the P2 or whatever, and you'd put it in the, triple it in the typewriter with the carbon paper between each sheet and you'd start madly typing away into yeah. all the little boxes. Yeah. And the station sergeant, for whatever reason, was sitting behind me. At, there was a big old Sylvester um, switchboard with all the cords. Yeah. And he was maybe the the officer on duty on the switchboard had gone off to get dinner or something. And next thing I feel this weird hand up my leg. It's like grabbing me on the leg and I... 
had someone at the counter, like a member of the public, but they couldn't see. So I couldn't say, like I kicked my leg really hard and I heard this, oh. <laughs> but then once once the – and I was never outspoken. Right, right. I do remember on this occasion I turned around to this particular sergeant and I looked at him. I said, don't you ever, if you ever do that again, if you ever do that again – There'll be big trouble. I'll report you, and I'll I'll escalate the matter. Like it's 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 not on. It's not 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 acceptable. Mm. And he went, oh, so sorry. Like he just it was weird. It was like he had a moment and didn't think about it. Right, didn't know what he was doing. Or well, it was just well, he obviously knew what he was doing, but it was just weird. And those little funny things happened all the time. Like mm. it was just odd things would happen, and you think, oh, that's kind of inappropriate, isn't it? Or you get propositioned or asked out by. A lot of police, mm. and you'd be on patrol. You'd be working, and they say, "Oh, come out, come back to my place after work or something." And you go, "I don't think so." I mean, you've got a gun. I don't think that's a wise thing to say to someone with a gun. No, it's just weird. Or they say, "You'd say, okay, I, I don't think so." No, 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 I don't think so. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But you you said yes to Dad. How did that happen? Um... Yeah, well, <laughs> basically I'd made uh, – there was a serious accident one day and someone had been – I think someone had been knocked down by a car and they were in a serious condition in hospital. i got to tell you, Mum, this is not the beginning of a normal love story. <laughs> and then and then the, the, the per- we knew who hit them because someone got the number plate. Like, right, right. So we went to his house, knocked on the door. The car's 
parked underneath the block of apartments and there's a mark on the front of the... It was very typical of what you'd expect to find. So Mm. we knew that was the car and we had numerous witnesses that had taken the number plate. So it wasn't just one person. And who's we? Um, Myself and my colleague who asked to attend to this particular incident. And Mm. the ambulance came, took the person to hospital. They were in a very serious condition. Mm. The person, serious matter, that he, it was he, had knocked down this person and left, driven off. Yeah. And was intoxicated, right. seriously intoxicated. Um, went to his apartment, knocked on the door, hammered on the door, went back another hour later, kept hammering on the door for like, I don't know, half the day. And then eventually he wandered into the police station himself. He went, oh my God, what have I done? What's going on? Kind of pretend. And he just basically said, I cannot remember a thing from when I left wherever I was last night to when I got into my bed. Mm-hmm. He just said, I have no memory, cannot remember a thing. So I was normally very even-tempered, and I just said, I can't. I don't believe you. I'm just going to sit here, and you sit there until you do remember. And I sat there, and eventually he went, oh, okay, all right, well, basically I stuffed up. And anyway, so he was charged, and I took got a statement off him and whatever. Hmm. But during this whole process... This young police officer kept walking past and kind of looking at me strangely, and then he was sitting over there and up a little bit at another desk and kept smiling and looking across and eating McDonald's and looking at me. And then he'd he'd eaten a hamburger and spilt it all down his front, and then he walked past me and said, oh, I wonder what this is all over me, or some weird (laughs) kind of awkward, bizarre comment. And I I thought, I went, oh, my God, here we go again, another another one. Another one. (laughs) So I just paid no attention and rolled my eyes. And then I don't know how it came about. Maybe a few days later we were working together. Yeah. And we got on really well. And I was must have been at least in probably been there for two and a half years, three years. And I was senior on the car. Yeah. And he was the driver and he basically driving around and on a patrol together and we just started chatting, and um, weirdly enough, we worked together for a couple of shifts in that week, and just got on super well and liked each other's company. And then we had lunch one day, and within about it was bizarre. I just said, "Look, I'm going over to Fiji to see my mum on a holiday. I haven't seen her for quite some time, but mm. if you want to come over with me as just a travel mate, that'd be great." And he went. Oh, why not? Okay, and that was it. That was it, really. And then he said, oh, well, let's go down to the beach this afternoon. I'll meet you there. And it just all escalated. And within about three weeks or something, we were going out. And he, and then he said, oh, will you marry me? And I said, yes, I will. And that was it. Jesus. <laughs> well, apparently, because according to Dad, he proposed on the plane to Fiji. Is that the way you remember it? Well, he kind of intimated that that's what he was thinking about and then on the plane mm. it was he he would he asked me i'm sure he I'm, i can't remember i'm sure he asked me before yeah and he went on the plane to fiji and he'd bought me the engagement ring the ruby engagement ring which was lovely yeah and he gave put the ring on my finger and kind of officially proposed to me on the plane as part of giving giving me the ring you right. see right like the, the formal ceremony happened the formal on the plane. type thing yeah yeah mm. yeah yeah so there you go. Jesus Christ. That's pretty sudden. Um, 
I, I guess one one last thing I'd like to talk about is the fact that uh, in Loose Units, especially the book, one thing that I enjoy uh, talking about with Dad is all that typical cliched cop stuff, you know, car chases and foot chases and like fight scenes and all the other kind of cop stuff. I feel like it wouldn't, it'd it'd be remiss of me to not ask you if you were ever in any like super action-y high octane scenes that, for example, would look good in a TV show. I was actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was a pretty good driver. Yeah. Okay. So I was in a few high speed pursuits myself. Um, and I don't, I just, I don't have a distinct memory. I mem- remember driving a couple of times around the area from the police station to urgent matters mm. under siren on the wrong side of the road at high speed. Did you enjoy doing that? Loved it. Great. <laughs> Your eyes lit up. Just Loved then. it. Um, I can't give you the exact details of why I was actually driving at high speed to get somewhere, but obviously it was an urgent matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once we were pursuing this car and it was full on and basically um, I think I think what happened was other cars got involved. See, I don't have such a good memory for this part of my police life. Oh, it's fine. Um, it's fine. And um, my partner said, quick pull over, let's change, let me behind the wheel. You're doing a great job, but we've got to get this. I'll put my foot right down. Mm. And then he promptly put his foot down and went over the median strip and the car got stuck. <laughs> so <laughs> the la- I, I didn't no, say... No, no, love, 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 I got this. And then he just crashes the car. I, I didn't say a word. Right. Did not say a word. What a tit. And he didn't say... And no, neither was ever <laughs> talked about it from when it happened to getting the car, police car towed <laughs> to going back to the station and... And like anything, he just didn't even look at me or talk about it, and I never said another word. That's so great. But um, I do remember going to a pub brawl up in Crow's Nest, and there was this really big guy, and he had the billiard cue, and he was basically running around and beating people with it and swinging it above his head, and he just lost the plot, basically. Yeah. lost mental health issue. I don't know. Mm. He was a big... I just remember the very large guy. He was very intoxicated and really annoyed and pretty scary. Yeah. And so I think like two or three police cars all rocked up together mm. and we just all went in. And it was good because no one turned around and said, well, you can't come in because you're a girl. It was great because we th- they thought that I would be useful because maybe he'd see a woman there. And I'd be better at talking him down right. and dealing with him because maybe he would think, oh, God, it's a woman. Maybe I, it's not a big, burly police officer. It's a woman. You think maybe his, like, his like, lizard brain chivalry will kick in well, or something? yeah, appeal to his better side or something. Yeah. But they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we all got in there and he kept swinging this beard. I don't know. I think one of my colleagues snuck around underneath the beard table and kind of grabbed him by the ankles and crash-tackled him. I can't... I think that's what happened. Sure. Did you um, ever uh, take a swing at anyone? No. That little baton's obviously not going to get a... No, no. No? No swing. I just... My best defence was that I was a very good runner. Really? I kept really fit, unlike a lot of other police back in those days. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of long-distance running and... I always said, look, my best weapon of defence is that if something really 
scary happens and it's life-threatening, I'm running. It's your getaway sticks. I'm not hanging around. As long as everyone else is okay <laughs> and no one's going to be in danger if I leave, yeah, yeah. I'm going. How are you uh, in a chase situation? You ever have to chase anyone down? I did. I've chased people down. I've arrested them and handcuffed them. Yeah. On a couple of occasions in my tight skirt. <laughs> in your Well, in your culottes eventually, right? Well... No, I never got to wear them. Oh, you didn't get to read. That's right. You didn't get to read the benefits no, of the cool lots. The no. cool lots initiative. No, like we have. Um, there's a break into the school one night, and we, I had to climb, jump over the fence, and chase. And my colleague jumped in the car and followed me in the car, right? Because he was too overweight and too out of condition to run anywhere. Yeah. And I basically, because I don't think the guy that had broken into the school was looking. It was weird. Like I was in uniform, but mm. it was like he just slowed down. I don't know what happened, and I just managed to catch up with him and get him to the ground and put the handcuffs on. Maybe you were so fast that he seemed in slow-mo by comparison? Possibly. Yeah, all right. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. Weird, weird. Anyway, yeah. No, I have a few stories. Would you ever um, Would you ever go back? No. Not even in like a kind of like a... Like a, you know, like a charming, like superintendent kind of like, like a managerial, you know, like a captain who sits behind a desk and like, in, you know, inspires people. Would you consider going back in a managerial role? No, because even though I like to have faith that, and I'm sure that there's other systems in place these days, human beings are human beings. It's just the nature of who we are. Mm. And... I don't know, but <clears throat> I'm, I, I always think that you would always still have your corrupt police. Sure. You'd always still have your really good, hardworking, honest police. Mm. Um, you know, and over the years, you know, we've been pulled over for random breath tests or just general whatever over the years, and some of the police that pull you over are just so lovely and personable, and other, others are just rude, obnoxious, and unbelievably unpleasant. Yeah. And I think, why would I want to go back and subject myself to that? And I wouldn't want to work shift work anyway. Mm. It's terrible. Um, And there's always going to be crime. And these days also with all of the drug epidemic with ICE Mm. and all the designer drugs, the level of violence and um, it's it's, it's different. Mm. Back then you dealt with hashish and marijuana and... LSD and heroin, <laughs> and the list goes on. But these days, all the designer drugs and, and the ice, definitely the ice, yeah. makes policing a whole lot more dangerous. Do you think... Okay, so that's 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 your perspective. Yeah. With that in mind, um, we have a lot of listeners who uh, are women, and many of whom have expressed interest in uh, joining up into the police force. Mm. Would you say to these women that they should run at it and try and make a difference? I think that if I was younger... Mm. Um, a couple of decades younger and I was just starting out and looking for a new career, mm. I would definitely consider the police force in that looking at it from a younger through a younger person's eyes. Yeah. Um, because there's so many different areas you could go into. You wouldn't necessarily have to work in general duties or plain clothes. There's other areas to go into. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's a great opportunity and you could make a difference. You could say, okay, well, this is me and I'm going to make a difference. But I like to think, I think I did make a difference. Being one of the first women in uniform working out with the guys, I must have made an impact and a difference. Yeah. Surely. Um, Not just to be, you know, escorting female prisoners and things like that, like actually out there in the community. And I think it was a good community um, 
thing as well because you could people were happy i i, I do remember having pe- people come up to me women and saying wow like you're working with the guys you're out in uniform and it's so good to see and well done and congratulations and we used to do a lot of um fundraising runs there was a police officer that was shot dead up in Newcastle yeah and myself and half a dozen other police officers all I think they were all I was the only female we decided to do a fundraising so we ran relay all the way from North Sydney to Newcastle wow <laughs> to raise funds for his family Jesus that's a long way so that was a good thing because there's a lot of a lot of um media around the fact that there was a female mm big deal, running to Newcastle with the guys to raise money for the family. Right. But it was great. It was fantastic. So, and we used to have these police police against fire brigade runs around Centennial Park. <laughs> and I used to go in those runs as well. Did you kick their asses? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that sometimes they'd be surprised and go, wow, yeah. like, you actually can do the job and you're doing a great job. It was, mm. oh, surprise, surprise. So I guess I have one last question. Um, if they were to make, and by they I mean we, if we were to make a Loose Units TV show or movie, mm-hmm. who would you have play you in uh, in present day, so you right now, and who would you have play you as a, you know, 20-something-year-old? Do you have any casting suggestions? <sighs> No, not really. No? No. No? I've never thought about it. I mean, we could get you to play yourself if you game. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no, I don't know. I don't... No, I don't really know. I haven't... I'd have to reflect on that. Look, I'll tell you what. Let's get you a manila folder full of uh, people's headshots and we, yeah. can, we can get you to weigh in. Not so much the look, it would be the personality, I think. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Personality of the actor. Yeah. See, they say that for most uh, auditions... They've decided whether you get the role or not within like 10 seconds. You come into the room and they look at you and they go, that's not the right look. Whereas what you're saying is to have a proper Christine portrayal on camera, it's all about the character and the personality. Yes, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, look, um, I'll have my people call your people and we'll talk. Thank you very much. Mum, <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been a real legitimate treat. I know for a fact listeners are going to be baying for more from you but uh they they can keep baying um who knows what's going to happen but either way we hope you've enjoyed these uh these these two episodes uh of loose units mum edition and uh we'll see you uh we'll see you soon for more loose units Wow, that was quite the ride. Now, I really hope that you all enjoyed Loose Units, Mum's the Word, parts one and two. And guess what? This season is almost over. We are almost at the end of season two. There's only two episodes left. An episode that we recorded whilst on the road with Dad doing our tour of regional Victoria. That's a really special one. And a super special Loose Units Christmas episode. After those, we'll be taking a bit of a break over Christmas. So thank you so much for listening to season two. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, leave a review, all that other good stuff, and we will see you next week for more Loose Units. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.